Well, uh, Thanksgiving was this past week, and so I assume that everybody like me saw uh, their fair share of family. You know, my family was in town, and uh, anytime that happens, you've got the, the awesome moments, right? The things that are fun, the highlight reel, and then you have the other stuff. And uh, the other stuff can, it's the other stuff, and we're not going to talk about it. But um, two weeks ago, my dad actually came up and uh, hung out with us for the weekend, and Saturday morning happened, he's like, let's go do the things, and I'm like, I've been here for a month, I don't know what the things are, but if you have any ideas, I'm happy to, to do that. So he decided we should go to Chimney Rock, and uh, if you've ever been to Chimney Rock, it's beautiful, it's just, it, it is what it sounds like, it's just a big rock that kind of looks like a chimney, and so they're like, huh, okay, we'll call it Chimney Rock. When you get there into the parking lot, you've got some options, we all have options, right? One of those options is you can take a lot of stairs up to the top of this thing, and you can look out, and you see Lake Lore. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking, honestly. It's great. Or you can take the elevator uh, to the top. And so my youngest daughter, Piper, she was out on this whole thing from the start. She's like, I don't want to put on regular pants, much less go somewhere and walk on stairs, no less. No, thank you. I'll stay home. And we're like, you're nine. You can't do that. She's like, well, Riley will stay home with me. I'm like, no, she won't. You're coming. And so we lovingly convinced her uh, that she was going to go with us. And by that, I mean, we told her she had no other options. And so we put her in the car, we drive out there, and from the start, she's out. When she hears the options about stairs or elevators, we're on the elevator. No questions asked. So we get to the top of this thing, we go out, and there's still more steps that have to be taken if you want to get to the chimney. Uh, 44, to be exact, we, we learned that on the elevator ride uh, through the speech. It was a very well-timed speech, exactly 32 seconds. That was also part of the speech. And uh, so we get to the top, we realize we got to take the rest of these stairs, and she's still out. She's like, I'm not doing that. And we're like, please, and by please, I mean, yes, you are. So we took her to the top, and uh, through a, a very, very uh, focused effort, we were able to get this photo at the top of the chimney. Uh, that is my daughter there, and I was waiting for my dad and stepmom to move out of the way, and they never did by the time I got this photo. So I, you take what you can get, right? Take the win, people. So we took the win and we moved on. And uh, this is now we're like 20 minutes into this whole thing that was supposed to take a significant portion of our day. And again, we're faced with these options. Do we take the stairs down to a trail to go see the bottom of a waterfall? Or do we kind of stay where we're at and take a different trail to see the top of the waterfall? And if you know anything about waterfalls, you know that they're more beautiful from the bottom. So we take the stairs down, and again, Piper with her little legs is the whole time, oh, I don't want I don't want I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it. And she uh, legitimately thought she was not going to make it, such that we also, for a while, wondered if she was going to make it. Good news, uh, we got to the bottom of the stairs, and she was, in fact, still with us, both bodily and uh, sort of mentally, right? Sort of. We decide, we, and again, here we are, options. Okay, you can go to the that way and get back to the parking lot, or you can go the other way and hike this trail to see this beautiful waterfall. And so we decide we're going to go see the waterfall because that's why we came. So as we're walking this trail, we realize at some point that, uh, that our daughter is, is not the same kid that we started with, okay? And I don't mean that she got lost and we replaced her with a different child. What I mean was her attitude changed drastically very quickly. She was all of a sudden at the front of the pack, leading the way. Like, we're following this child who had no interest in being where she was, and now she is the leader of the pack as we head down this trail. Uh, and what I noticed was, wow, this is like a really well-manicured trail. It's easy to navigate. It's easy to tell that we're on the path. And so I'm like, I'm going to let her lead this thing. We'll see what happens. 
And so I take this moment to sort of teach my nine-year-old daughter how to navigate a hiking trail. And if you know anything about hiking trails, you know that you navigate them with what's called blazes. They'll look like this. Uh, they're just a little shape on a tree, right? If you can't see it here, I'll circle it for you. Uh, it's there. And these are very nice blazes. I think they were made out of aluminum. I didn't touch it, but it's like screwed to the tree. You can see them very clearly. Now, most wilderness trails are just like a paint swatch. And sometimes you have to wonder, is that a blaze or did the birds do that? And uh, you just sort of hope for the best. These blazes, very nice and very easy to navigate. This is a trail blaze, right? If you're in a city, you will notice that there are green circle blazes all over town that are like this. And if you think I'm exaggerating, this is what I mean, uh, you'll be able to navigate from one to the next very easily. And that's the point of a blaze. You want to be able to see the next one from where you're at. So you find a blaze, and you look ahead, and when you see the next one, you know exactly where you're supposed to go. And that is how you stay on a trail. And so for the rest of this hike, my daughter and I were searching for these blazes. Let's be clear, we didn't need them. The trail is very obvious, but it's just fun, right? So we're looking for these blazes, and we noticed that there's some different situations that you can find yourself in. But as easy as this was, we had no idea like how long this path was, what types of terrain we were actually going to cover. But from start to finish, we were able to follow those blazes the entire way to where we were going. And then when we got there, we were able to turn around and follow them back. And what I thought was a teachable moment for my daughter turned out to be one of the most clear uh, messages I've received from the Lord in a long time. And I believe that that is a, is a word that he has for us today. And it starts with a question. Have you ever found yourself walking an unfamiliar path? Have you ever found yourself walking an unfamiliar path, navigating a new terrain? Maybe for you it was an unexpected situation or a surprising results or a sudden storm that rose up in your life. We've all been on these unfamiliar paths. Sometimes they're really easy and well marked out and sometimes that's just not the case. And so today I'd love to dive into what we can expect when we're on an unfamiliar path and how can we navigate them really well. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of a man named Elijah. And Elijah was, let's just be honest, the poster boy for what it means to walk through unfamiliarity. Elijah was a prophet in a time when things were sort of a disaster. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about King Josiah. It's in the same sort of time period, but Elijah is about 230-ish years prior to the reign of Josiah. The nation of Israel is in a civil war. They've actually split into two kingdoms. You've got Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And uh, in, in Israel, well, we talked about last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, Josiah being a good king. Judah had a handful of good kings. Israel had zero good kings. None. 0 for 20. That's not a made-up number. 20 kings, zero of them were good. Ahab is the guy that it's kind of talk, we're going to talk about today. And scripture says that he was more evil than any king before him. So there were seven before him. He was number eight. And scripture says, like word for word, he did more to arouse the anger of the Lord than any king of Israel before him. And I look at that and I'm like, man, I guess at least you're number one at something. Good job. But long story short, he married a, a pagan woman named Jezebel. He worshiped idols. He rebuilt pagan cities and he led the nation away from the Lord. Now God sees all this happening and he realizes that he's got no faithful priests left. They're all corrupt and he's got no kings that are willing to follow him. So God makes this new plan and he starts to call these guys 
called prophets. And a lot of times we hear prophet, we hear like fortune teller. That's not what a prophet was. A prophet was simply a messenger that spoke on behalf of the Lord. God would give them a message and they would deliver it to the people. And this uh, is what Elijah was. He was one of those first prophets. And that brings us to 1 Kings chapter 17, where his story begins. Verse 1, I mean, talk about an entrance. Here we go. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, which is like saying Brandon, the Charlestonian from Charleston. It's a little redundant, but, you know, stick with it. Uh, Tishbe is in Gilead, said to Ahab, which is the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. That's how he comes onto the scene. Like, hey, Ahab, it's going to get real dry. And I don't mean that in like the spiritual sense. You're going you're gonna to be far from God. No, no, there's going to be no raid, no dew. Things are going to get bad for you. And this immediately puts Elijah as kind of like on the outs with the king. You know, you, you come after a powerful person and you say you're going to attack him right in the resources. And it kind of puts you as not their favorite, right? And so Elijah, after delivering this message, is kind of like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And so God comes to him and gives him a word. And verse 2 picks right up and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him to do. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, this is what I'm talking about right? This is great. When we're on an unfamiliar path, this is the move, right? This is what you want. The path is clearly marked out. And it's like on a trail, there's, like I said, there's times when the path is going to be clearly marked out, where you're standing next to the blaze, and you can see the next one. We ran into many of those scenarios in our hike. You can see we're standing next to this tree, and even though you can't see it in the photo, we could see it really well that down the way we could see the next blaze. We knew exactly where to go. We knew exactly how to get there. And these are the moments when things are just good, right? You got all the answers that you need to all the most important questions. Where are we going? How do we get there? What are we going to eat? Right? Boom, boom, boom. God answers all of those questions for Elijah. He says, hey, we're going to the ravine. You're going to leave town. Take a right. I got the ravens hooked up with DoorDash. They're going to swing through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru for you twice a day and take good care of you. And that's exactly what happened. And in these seasons, they're so easy, right? Man, we're like, even though this is unfamiliar, I know exactly what's next. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. I even know that I'm not going to be hungry. You've got confidence. In these seasons, you can move fast. You can take some risks even. These are the seasons in which when, when we feel like God has given us a clear path forward, man, we're able to run. We're able to pursue it with everything we have. And on that trail, man, my piper, she ran from blaze to blaze. She was excited. She said, Dad, there it is. And she would run to the next one. She pursued that next marker, all because she felt safe, she felt equipped, and she felt excited. And there are times in our lives where we know exactly what to do. But, and there's always a but, that's not always the situation on our path, right? I wish I could say, yep, that's the way it is. Let's pray, right? Let's worship real hard after that. But that's not always the way our path works. And Elijah's path was no different. You see, a few years later, we, we continue his story because sometimes the path is visible, but it's challenging. We'll come into seasons where the path is visible, but it's challenging. And this is what happened next. So after that, we go to verse 7. It says, sometime later, the brook dried up. Why? Drought, right? Because there had been no rain in the land. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, Go once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me a little piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Real positive outlook. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. It says, She went away, did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. But the jar of flour was not used up, the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And so what happens here? The path is visible, but it's challenging. And I look at this, I look at this moment, this Elijah moment with this widow, and I'm like, dude, you got some nerve, man. Like, this widow literally just told you she's got nothing. She's got nothing left, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get it. Like, you said you're going to go home and die. Go ahead, do that. But before you do that, if you could just, like, spare a little bit of that last meal. I mean, it's your last meal anyway, right? Like, right, the nerve of this guy. I'm like, how could you possibly? Because for me, I'm thinking, based on her response, I'm, maybe I found the wrong widow. He didn't say, like, the the word of the Lord did not say, like, you're going to find the widow gathering the sticks at this exact place. She's going to say this, and you should press in a little bit. That's not what happened. It was, he knew what to do, but it wasn't as specific. And so for me, I'm like, maybe I found the wrong widow. Hey, you know what, Uh, new friend widow, here's the deal. God told me that I was going to find a widow, and she was going to take care of me. When I find her, I'll let her know about you, and maybe she can help you out as well. And then the whole thing's messed up, right? Like, we've broken the whole plan. Yes, the path was visible, but it was challenging. And we had situations like that as well on our hike. We had moments where we were standing next to the blaze, and we couldn't exactly see the next one. And so for us here, you can see barely that next one is in between those two trees. And the way it works was you had to be standing in the exact right spot to be able to see through those trees to the next blaze. If you were a little off to the side, it would be covered by the one tree. If you went the other way, it would be covered by the other. In fact, I didn't find that picture. My dad did because I was about to take that picture for a different purpose. When he saw it, I was like, oh, no, look through the trees. And I was like, I don't, what are you talking about? And he grabbed my head and moved my head, and that's when I finally saw it. The path is still clear. It's still visible, but it's challenging. Elijah had this vague idea of what was going to happen, but he had to navigate this uncertainty. And in these seasons of life, things are a little more difficult to navigate. We have to move with caution. We move a little slower. We lean in. And I notice in these times, Piper still led the way, but she fell back a little bit. She got a little bit closer to me. She got a little bit close to her dad who could provide some safety and some certainty and help her navigate this difficult season. And when we find ourselves in the same situation, when we find ourselves on a challenging path that we don't know exactly what to do, that's what we need to do. We need to lean in. We need to move closer to God. We need to move closer to Jesus. And in fact, Scripture tells us this plainly. In Psalms, it says, early I will seek you. And I think a lot of times we hear that and we think, oh yeah, early in the morning. There's a song about it. I will seek you in the morning. I don't sing very much, but right? It doesn't say that. It says early. Early. What if we, instead of thinking it meant early in the morning, we thought early in the process. 
early in the struggle, early in the season, instead of trying to navigate these seasons on our own, what if very early in those moments we sought him? to lean in. And in these times, a lot of times our, our, our first thought is to look down, to just be discouraged. Like, God, I, I used to see so clearly, but now I don't. Is there something wrong with me? We keep our eyes focused down when we need to keep our eyes focused forward. Because can I tell you a little secret about those blazes on the trail? They're all at the same height. We're never going to see the next blaze by looking at the ground. The only thing we're going to see by looking at the ground is death and decay. Dead leaves, fallen sticks, broken twigs, things like that. And the truth is, when we do the same thing in our life, we need to keep our eyes forward, not down. There's nothing there for you. Lean in. As much as I'd like to say this is the most difficult thing we're ever going to face, and this is the most difficult thing Elijah ever faced, it's just not. Because there's a third type of path. And it's the, when the path is completely unclear, and you feel like you're never going to make it. You see, there are moments for us on this path when we couldn't see the next blaze from where we were at. Like this one. We're standing right there. It's as close as I could get to the tree, and I could not find the next blaze because it was farther up and it was around a corner. And there are times in our life when there's going to be a path that is just not clear. We have no idea what to do. And in these times, we just can't see the next point from where we are. Or maybe we have no idea where we are at all. You see, for us, we were expecting about a 20-minute walk. And it probably was, but here's the problem. No one looked at their watch when we started the walk. You get out on the way, and you're like, oh, this is great. We feel good. We're going, we're going. No one looked at their watch. We didn't check to see when we started. We had no idea how far we in. And I do know this about 20 minutes. Sometimes 20 minutes can feel like five minutes, and at other times 20 minutes can feel like, you know, I don't know, a year, eight months, 17 days, and six hours if we're just throwing out numbers. It can feel like we're never going to make it. There was a moment in this hike where my stepmom, uh, she had to sit down. She, like, well, kind of was winded lost her breath, and she had to sit down. And in that moment, she had to uh, use an inhaler, and, and that inhaler allowed her to take a breath. It allowed her to rest a little bit, get some, some, a moment of, of rest, and then she got up and she continued on. Elijah would experience the same kind of situation about three years later. Remember, we're still in this drought, and as we get into chapter 18, uh, the drought's still happening, and Elijah has kind of become it, public enemy number one. Jezebel Ahab's wife is seeking to kill any prophets uh, that follow God, and Elijah was at the top of the list. She just wanted to kill him so bad. God tells Elijah to go talk to Ahab and tell him that he's going to end the drought. It's time. So Elijah does that. Ahab sees him coming, and Ahab calls out, oh, it's you, the troubler of Israel. And uh, Elijah's like, I have a different recollection of events, so uno reverse card, sir. You are the troubler of Israel. You've brought this all on us. And I tell you what, I'm going to prove it. And he basically ends up challenging Ahab to this God versus God, like celebrity death match situation. It's going to be epic. And uh, Ahab accepts. They call all the people of Israel together to watch this thing go down. And what is going to happen is Ahab's uh, prophets of Baal are going to prepare an offering to their God. Elijah's going to do the same thing. They're not going to light them on fire, and they're just going to ask their gods to provide said fire and see what happens. So the people of, the, of Israel are like, yeah, this sounds cool. And Elijah says, listen, how long will you waver? It's time to decide. If Baal is the true God, then follow him. And if God is the true God, then follow him. Stop wavering. Pick a side. So it ends up being Elijah alone and 450 prophets of Baal. Seems like they should probably have gotten a few more guys, but here we are. Um, so the prophets of Baal, he's, Elijah's like, hey, prepare your offering. 
put it on your altar, pray to God, your God, let's see what happens, and then I'll do mine after. And they're like, great. So they start doing this thing. They prep the bull, they call on Baal, and it says from morning to noon, they're calling out to this, this God, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And it gets late in the day, and the story continues. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them, which is just a boss, a boss move. Uh, Shout louder, he said. Surely, uh, surely he is God, right? Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy, or maybe he's traveling. Uh, Maybe he's sleeping and he must be awakened. I don't know. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until the blood flowed. It says midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Nothing happened. So then Elijah's like, okay, cool. You guys stop that. It's gross. Um, We'll do my thing now and see what happens. And so Elijah, step one, repairs the altar of God. Then he prepares his bowl. He puts it out there. And then he does something kind of next level. And he says, hey, guys, here's the deal. I don't want any uh, sort of doubt about what's going to happen. So if you could take uh, as much water as you can find and just drench all of this stuff, uh, that'd be great. And so they do. These prophets, they drench this thing. And if I'm starting a fire... I'm not pouring water on it. That seems very counterproductive. And so they just drench this thing with water. And then Elijah calls on God and fire falls from heaven that he consumes it. And he doesn't consume just the offering. He consumes the offering, the wood, the altar, the ground around it, and the water, gone. And Elijah's like, so... Basically what happens is there, God proves himself to be the one. This fight breaks out, 450 verses 1, and uh, all these prophets of Baal are killed. God unleashes rain on the land that hasn't been seen in a very long time. And you would think everybody would live happily ever after, right? The king and the queen would be like, yes, the rain is back, the crops are back, like, let's go, good job, Elijah. But no, that's not what happened. They now want him dead more than ever. And for the life of me, I don't know why. Pride, probably. So Jezebel, the queen, makes a vow to kill him, and she literally sends Elijah a message that says, I'm going to kill you before the day is done. Good luck out there. And uh, so Elijah, he runs away. And that's where we kind of pick up this story in uh, chapter 19. It says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Yep, okay, that tracks. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. He ran off into the wilderness. He got scared. He took off. And we see Elijah, this picture of him. He's empty. He's weary. He's broken. And he's out in the wilderness with no idea what the future holds. But that's when God shows up in the midst of his despair, and the story continues And it says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you stuck in this place? What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord. Uh, God Almighty, the Israelites, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. Uh, They've torn down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they want to kill me too. In short, he's like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I just ran. They're trying to kill me. What would you do? And then he's like, oh yeah, well, you're God. So that's different. But I ran. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing here. This is where things get very difficult, right? Because we have no idea where we're headed. We have no idea where we're going. The path is unclear and we're scared. And even on this easy path at Chimney Rock, these moments slowed Piper down when we came across them. She was unsure. and So she did what we have to do in these same situations. She got behind me and let me lead. She followed her father and we kept going. And this is exactly what Elijah needed to do in these moments. We have to keep our eyes fixed on God and we have to dive into his word. When God seems silent, we simply must keep going in the same direction until he tells us otherwise. See, there's markers, there's other markers on the trail that can help you stay the course. The trail is groomed, there's fences, there's bridges, there's other things on this trail that will keep pointing you forward. Martin Luther King Jr. says, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. And for Elijah, God drew him forward. In verse 11, we hear, um, we, we see it, God say, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. All of a sudden, in this moment of brokenness, Elijah gets a promise. He gets this promise from God. He remembers who God is, and he's ready to press forward because he knows there's going to be something beautiful if he just stays the course. He's going to experience this presence of God in a powerful way, and I think he had pictures of what that was going to look like. It was going to be amazing, and for us on this hike, even in the most difficult moments, which let me be clear, there were very few. This is an easy hike, okay? I'm not talking about being lost in the wilderness like Elijah, but just stick with me for the metaphor. And so even in the most difficult moments of this hike, we knew what was at the end of it. We knew we were going to see this beautiful waterfall. And all of a sudden, as we were going on our way, we could start to hear it. We heard the the rushing water. We heard this brook. We heard this mountain stream. And we're like, it's got to be close. And I remember turning around that final bend and seeing this. And it was, guys, you just have no idea. It was disappointing. (laughs) I went on a hike for a waterfall, and I found like a puddle plunge like a tiny trickle, you know, a petite pour, if you will, I'm done. Um, that's what I found. And I was disappointed. This is not what I expected. It's not what I expected. And maybe that's where many of us have landed today. We showed up, we fought through the hard stuff, and it's just not what we expected. And Elijah was there as well. That passage goes on in verse 11. He tells, God tells him he's going to pass by, and it says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Excuse me? But we just had this conversation just a moment ago. This is not what I expected. I expected to see the presence of God. Like I wanted to see this mighty wind rip apart the mountainside. But that wasn't you and the fire. I thought it was the fire because certainly it was the fire. It was just the fire before. And you're telling me it's not now. What am I, what is happening? And you're, now you're asking me the same question. Okay, God, I'll play your game. Here's what I'm doing. Verse 14, I've been very zealous for the Lord. God Almighty, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Does this sound familiar? 
You want to ask me the same question, I'll give you the same answer. This is what I'm doing. Nothing has changed. And then God encourages him with a simple word that says this in verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. And God goes on to give him this encouragement. He says, listen, Elijah, people are with you. People are for you. The mission hasn't changed. You're the one for the job. Go back the way you came. I am with you. You have a job to do. And that job is to lead my people back to me. The church, that is our calling every day of the week. So how do we navigate these unfamiliar paths, no matter the degree of difficulty? Number one, go back the way you came. Stay the course. Stay the course. Here's the, here's the truth. Despite this waterfall experience and the uh, sage advice of 90s pop sensation and four-time Grammy Award-winning group TLC, I am not out on chasing waterfalls. I'm going to continue to do it. And I, I know that was a very specific reference, but I had to, had to get it in there. Romans 11:29 tells us that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Elijah found himself hiding in a cave. Can I tell you, church, God is never going to change in the dark what he told you in the light. You're never going to find some new direction hiding in the back of a dark cave. And it was the truth for Elijah. He will never change in the dark what he's told you in the light. If God has given you a mission, and he has, that is still your mission. Stay the course. Stay the course and be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we look back to verses 7 and 8, we see that Elijah was filled with something, right? It was fresh baked carbs, because that is always the answer. God took this moment to give him the rest and the nourishment he needed, not from the work, not from doing the will of God, but just a moment to refresh, to be refilled, to get this nourishment and the rest that he needed. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The way that we do that is by digging deep into scripture, reminding ourselves of what God has said about us and to us, by engaging in, in prayer, spending time talking to God and listening to what he has for us and spending time in community, being around other believers who can encourage us and energize us for the path ahead. And if you really want a pro tip next level, do them all at the same time. Yes, we need personal time of scripture reading and prayer and we even need some community time that's just straight up fun. But when you put these three things together, man, there is not a moment that's more powerful in confirming your calling. If you want an opportunity to do this, come join us at the office every morning for Mondays through Thursdays as we just pray together from 8.30 to 9. No agenda, just people hanging out and praying. Here's what I learned about the waterfall that day. The situation was that the lake above the waterfall was running low. It was running on empty. Didn't have anything to pour out. And what it reminded me of was that your potential means nothing if you are empty inside. Our potential means nothing if we're running on empty. Just like the waterfall can't pour out what it doesn't have, neither can you. But when, the, when that lake is full, or when the lake above a waterfall is full, there's so much more potential. Just like when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's so much more potential. Like this. This is what I expected to see. I wanted that. I wanted this rushing waterfall. Can I tell you that this is what's possible for us when we're on a mission together? And can I tell you that this is the exact same waterfall? 
It's the exact same waterfall, but in this moment, the lake was full. The lake had been replenished. It had been refreshed, and it was able to pour out in the way that we would expect. Stay the course. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then, then we can pour out the overflow. See, my family, when we got there, we stopped and we rested at that waterfall. We took some photos. We laughed together. We made fun of my stepmom because she almost didn't make it. And then we talked about the Rocky's hot chicken that we were going to eat when we got back to this side of town. And just doing that, man, our energy was restored. We walked back to our car with confidence and with purpose. And the path, even though it was only slightly more familiar, it seemed so much shorter because we had fresh energy and a clearer picture of where we were headed. And see, Elijah would do the same thing. He left that mountain and he got back to work. He went after what God called him to do. Eventually, he would connect with a guy named Elisha, who we would raise up as his successor and send out. And scripture tells us that Elisha got a double portion of the anointing that Elijah had. And I believe it was because Elijah took that moment to be refilled with God's spirit and he was able to pour out of the overflow. When we take time, to allow God to refill us. We'll have fresh energy for the journey and a clearer picture of the path ahead. And when we're equipped with these things, we'll, we'll overflow with the things of Jesus, with love, with peace, with joy, compassion, and the truth of the gospel. We'll have energy and endurance to continue the work of the kingdom and raise others up to do the same. And as we answer that call, we're going to see God's kingdom break out here at the gathering and all across Asheville. So today, can I encourage you to let today be that fresh filling? Let today be the day that God provides you with rest and with nourishment. Let God refresh and renew your spirit. Let him confirm your calling. And let him give you the rest and the nourishment that you need to keep going. Can I encourage you, church? Together, let's stay the course. Let's be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and a people that generously pour out of the overflow of our hearts and point others to him. Maybe for you today, you need that feeling for the first time. Maybe you, you've listened to this, listened to me talk, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, my path seems crazy and weird, but I don't know what you mean by this refreshing spirit, this life that you're talking about. And can I tell you that the source of it is Jesus? That all throughout Scripture, we see a broken people trying to reconnect with God in their own way, through their own work, and all throughout scripture, we see a loving, generous God who made a way for that to be possible without all of us, the, the work and the effort. It's just a relationship with Jesus that starts a journey of following him. And if today you need, to, you need that, you need that grace, you need that peace, you need that redemption, freedom from sin, man, I want to invite you to start that journey with him. And if that's you today, and you want to begin that journey with Jesus, would you say this simple prayer with me with every about and every eye closed? God, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I've messed up and been. I know that that relationship is broken, but today I want to invite Jesus into my life, into my heart, admit to following him forever. God, would you fill me with your spirit to give me that rest and that abundant life? Would you allow me to be used in your kingdom point others to do the same. Let's in your name that we pray. Amen.